Good afternoon. Thank you so much for staying with us right here on Women Radio WFM 91.7. I hope that your day is going on well and I hope you're feeling great today. This is uh, Women Radio, the first Nigeria's first radio station for women and their families. All right, so you're welcome to the first, first responder story right here for the 16 days of activism. Um, today is day 14 of the 16 days of activism right here on Women Radio. My name is Rose Yusuf Kaiser, and once again, you're welcome to a first responder story. Now, it is day 14 of the 16 days of activism with the theme, Unite, Invest to Prevent Violence Against Women and Girls. The 16 days of activism is a global campaign which will be on... Uh, we started on on 25th of November and is the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women until the 10th of December, the Human Rights Day. Now, this year, Women Radio 91.7 is spotlighting first responders, um, is spotlighting first respondents, you know, in the fight against gender based violence all right so um first responders will provide first-hand help and support the survivors of gender-based violence so you can do what well to join the conversations by contributing or reacting to the program by dialing 0709171917 send a text or a whatsapp message 0703175637 that is a number to call uh, that's the number to send a text or a WhatsApp message and to call is 0709171917. Send us a contribution to our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, X, and of course YouTube at WFM917. Log on to our website, www.wfm917.com. Download our mobile app, WFM917. All right, so today on day 14 of the 16 Days of Activism, we'll be discussing a first responder story, work done so far, success, challenges, and way forward in ending violence against women and girls. All right, so to do this with me today is Messi Moyele Kwabe. She is the um editor stand to end rape initiative all right she's the editor of stand to rape initiative and today we'll be looking at um, the first responder story you know work done so far um challenges and way forward in ending violence against women and girls so um let's go ahead and meet mercy and get on with the discussion for today good afternoon mercy thank you for joining us today Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Hope you can hear me loud and clear. Yes, I can. I can. Can you hear me well? Yes, I can too. Thank you so much for joining uh, us today. All right. So to be a part of the program, like I said, you can dial 0700-917-917. Send us a text or your WhatsApp message, 0703175637. So let's head on and start off the discussion. All right, Mercy. So let us know how... Um, the organization, all right, which is um, Stand to End Rape Initiative. Um, let's know how this initiative has actually been responding to gender-based violence so far, especially where you are located and maybe beyond that. All right, thank you very much. Um, once again, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for um, making an effort to listening to Survivor Story. Um, when it comes to responding to survivors, I would say that Stand to End Rape is survivor-centered. So most of our advocacy and activism is reliant on the survivor, what the survivor needs and what the survivor um, requires at that moment when they come to us. So usually we have different mediums in which survivors can reach out to us. 
please note that when a case of violence um, referring to victims of sexual and gender-based violence, we don't like to call them victims. We prefer to use the term survival. Um, when they reach out to us through any of our mediums, whether it's WhatsApp, through a phone call, sending an email, whatever medium they use to reach out to us, so the first thing we do is to ensure their safety. Now, how do we go about ensuring their safety? It's either to, we ask them questions like, okay, are they in a safe space? If no, then we have to refer them either to another organization or to, with the sexual assault response centers that we work with, because currently we do not have a survival center. So that's what we do, first of all. So because we are survival centered, we focus on the safety of the survivor then. Um, moving from there, we try to seek for, um, try to encourage them to seek medical attention and to provide every necessary information that can be available at that moment. Now, because different people have different ways in which they respond to sexual and gender-based violence, one of the things we're also sensitive about is not um, forcing survivors to talk about their experience. We have to give them the space and the time that they need to talk about these experiences. But in-house, we have legal counselors okay. and we have trained psychologists that actually meet with these people so that we understand their needs and know how to meet them uh, or how to provide what they need at the point where they come to us. Hmm. All right. Thank you so much, Mercy. Um, this is Women Radio, and it's 14 minutes after 12, and this is the first responder story. All right. And uh, today we are talking to Mercy Moyele uh, Kwabe, and she is the editor Stand to End Rape Initiative. And she's telling us, um, you know, some of um, how far they've gone, you know, as an organization in ending violence. All right. So far. All right. So um, let us know. Just us about your experience in, you know, how has experience been like dealing with survivors of gender-based violence? Common perceptions and facts, you know, about dealing with survivors of gender-based violence. Sometimes it could be a lot, but mm. how far so far? Mm. Well, I would say personally, my experience, oh, I remember the first case I responded to, I was mm. traumatized. Mm. I don't think I was ready to see what I saw at that mm. point, right? And when we talk about conceptions versus perception, I think the major issue here is that when somebody has been violated, and this is not restricted to sexual violation, by the way, even if somebody has been robbed, for example, mm. we have a notion that there is a particular way the person should be able to tell us, oh, tell us what happened, tell us all the events. But no, because again, everybody handles trauma differently. Yeah. So I would say that one of my experiences when we talk about conception versus perception, right, is that I used to perceive in the past that uh, if something happens to you, you should be able to talk about it. I mean, you know that it will go a large extent to helping other people avoid such situations. However, when it comes to the conception of it, then you start to realize that, oh, it's not as it seems, right? Because it's not, this is not a black and white situation. So most times when you're responding, as a first responder, one of the things that you always have to have at the back of your mind is that you honestly don't know what you're walking into. Huh. Because every situation is different. Then because as a CSO and NGO, right, yeah. we do not have some, our scope does not allow us arrest, for example. So you have to keep in mind that you have to work with other organizations, mm -hmm. other government institutions, which may not be as uh, which may not have the capacity or the efficiency which you have. 
because again they are also limited in so many ways so you have to be able to work within the system which i'm not going to lie can be very stressful but i believe that results can be gotten with a lot of persistence if you're asking me the number of cases resolved compared to the number of cases reported yeah i don't even think we have that data available but obviously the numbers don't match mm. right but in a few cases we're able to persist and at least get to some point where you know the perpetrator is apprehended and the law takes effect okay all right, thank you so much, Mercy, for that. Now, let's look at um, challenges, which we know can be overwhelming, especially with lack of um, adequate funds and societal norms also that have you know, been there for years, existed for years. Now, how have you been able to overcome these challenges so far in your journey as a first responder organization? Oh, and um, let me just say that that's why I like the theme of this year, 16 Days of Activism, because it finally, it's finally, like, Already we know that not a lot of resources is being put into sexual and gender-based violence. Mm. And that's why this year's theme is on investing, right, to prevent and promote uh, issues on gender-based violence, sexual and gender-based violence against women. And the reason why we have to invest is because we need money, like every other thing. Yesterday, we held a Twitter space from South Egypt where we had to discuss what allocation of resources is being given to what allocation of resources is being given to a particular group of people, yeah? Mm. For sexual behavior. Let's say like the police now. The police has a unit called the first gender unit. But in the budget that was presented for twenty twenty four, we could not see any specific budget allocated to this unit. So we're asking we will not invest. So one of the main challenges we have is the money we use to run this program. Because it's very expensive. If you ask how much is a rape kit, for example, the rape kit that you use to gather evidence and take DNA, in some places you'll find the rape kit is more than 100,000 naira. And not a lot of people can afford this, especially people from low income and in families, right? So those are kind of the challenges that we face. Another challenge that we face is basically societal. And from this angle, that's where you can see the societal pressure. We've had cases where maybe a lady has reported the case and said, oh, this person has violated me. The next thing, the community gathering to tell her, oh, you know, this man has helped from doing this, has helped from doing that. And then it's now like she's the enemy of the community. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about societal factors, we have to consider um, where these people are from. Age as well also matters. Because when we're dealing with a minor, we need an adult. And if the adult refuses to further the case, there's little or nothing we can do to get justice on this um, issue. That's part of the challenges that we face. And that's why, like most organizations like us, we run on grants. We run on grants, we run on grant funding and all of that. International funding, that's how we get most of our money. But we need the country to also bridge that gap between us and the community. Because there's so many cases that we might not be able to respond to yeah. that the state should be actively able to respond to. Yeah. So those are just a few challenges we face. We face the financial challenges, we face the societal challenges as well. There's also the religious factor as well. There's also the gender bias. You'll find that a lot of men get sexually abused, but they don't talk about it. Because, I mean, if they come and they talk about it, it looks like, oh, they are weak and kind of, uh, they, they feel like it limits or it impedes on their masculinity. So in that case, you find that we don't have a lot of data that showcases 
the number of people being sexually violated. There are also some people that are sexually violated that we just choose not to um, talk about it because they know that the justice process might be very exhausting, which is a challenge for us as well. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Mercy, for giving us a breakdown of the challenge so far. And, um, you know, um, how far you have gone with all of these challenges. All right. So um, this is Women Radio WFM 91.7, 21 minutes after 12 right here on Women Radio. All right. Now let's look at um, how well you have created awareness in your immediate communities and beyond on gender-based violence. Because um, we can keep talking but if this awareness is not going far or if people don't know what to do or where to turn to or where to go to then we might just keep singing the same story year in year out so tell us so far um, you know how far you have gone in creating awareness especially your immediate community and beyond on gender-based violence Okay, so I will answer this question in two phases. The first phase is that I will talk about what we do at Camp of Dream. Mm. The second phase is that I will talk about personally what I think should be done, okay. right? So what we do at Camp of Dream is that we have a consent manual that we try to circulate to schools who obviously are um, mostly in Lagos, right? Mm. Schools whose curriculum allows for some form of sex education, if not sex education, but for some some form of even health education, sort of, right? Mm. We also have a lot of pamphlets. We do a lot of community outreach. Uh, we work with a lot of sister organizations to achieve some goals with our community outreach. Another thing that we've been doing since last year is that we've been going around to institutions, especially tertiary institutions, especially with the... With the uh, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time when... BBC brought out a documentary which we also participated in, which was Sex for Grace, right? Yes, yes. So one of our major advocacy have been to follow the NUC guidelines, reaching out to institutions. For instance, at Bay University in Abuja, mm. we began our MOU with that university and many other universities in Port as well and in Lagos to see how we can a unit, not just in the school, but a safe space for students to be able to report cases. And not just also report cases, to be able to hold seminars, you know, to sensitize people on this issue. One thing I would say is that compared to that, I would say that a lot of Nigerians are at least aware of this issue. They might not be enlightened, they might not know what to do in case of emergency. We have all these things on our blog by the way. So if you're ever confused on what to do, you can just Google Pants to Android Initiative and you'll find a how to guide and what to do in a case where you've experienced sexual violence. Now, that's most of what we do, which is mainly advocacy and trying to, basically, for lack of better, better phrase, spread the gospel, right, of sexual and gender-based violence. Um, what I think can be done uh. to improve, because again, it takes a village. One organization, CSOs alone cannot handle this. The state has to meet us halfway. So one of the things that would actually go a long way is for state governments to see that this is an epidemic. And one of the things I'm very proud of for Lagos State is that Lagos State also has a court that specifically deals, has a unit, and has a court that specifically deals with sexual and domestic cases uh, against victims, right? Mm. But what I'm also pushing for is that this should be a national initiative. It shouldn't be left to justice. In 2020, a state of emergency had to be declared on sexual violence. 
And the reason why the state of emergency has been declared is because now people were living in the same space with their violators. So the level of sexual violence increased in 2020 during the pandemic. So why not take the initiative? We don't have to wait for something to become a pressing problem. This can yeah. inevitably lead to political issues. We've seen so many countries crumble because of acts of sexual violence committed during war, huh. right? That in war, you even think, oh, sexual violence is inevitable. But no, it is. It might be inevitable, but it is still a problem. It can pose a challenge to the future of the state. Sexual violence can lead to a lot of secondary issues can pose a bigger, wider problem for the state. So that is why I feel like what should be done is a wider state initiative. And when I say state, I mean the whole of Nigeria, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. A national initiative that is taking further to make sure that every state has a specialized unit that deals with cases like this. Because again, these are very time-sensitive cases. Evidence can be lost in our... So if you don't have a specialized unit that deals with these cases, then... I mean, the rest of us will continue to suffer. We might be trying our best to do everything that we can, but we have to work within the confines of the constitutional provisions of the state. Hmm. Okay. All right, thank you so much, Mercy, for um, telling us how far with awareness. Now, let's look at um, collaboration with other, you know, uh, responders, other security agencies and stakeholders to... to you know, to enable you provide support for survivors of gender-based violence because no man is an army. No organization yeah. can stand alone. You definitely have to look to the left, look to the right, and see how you can partner and make things better for yourselves. So, um, how far with collaborations, you know, with security agencies, other responders? Oh, we, have, we, have, we have very good collaborations. So, like I explained, most of our work is mainly on advocacy right so yeah. we do a lot of work with uh, women affairs right we also do a lot of work with the humanitarian ministry we do a lot of work with the nigerian police we do a lot of work with every partner with um, sexual assault responsibilities as well because what we need is place for survivors to go and stay yeah. but that's the place we respond and we refer them to we also have a lot of collaboration with the police hospital because that's the official hospital that um um, the police relies on for medical reports. So we do well with collaboration, right? Okay. Uh, there's not a lot of interagency rivalry because, I mean, all of us are working towards the same goal, huh. right? But I say again, which is what I really want to raise, is that we can do all we can, but remember that we have a scope of our activities. We cannot arrest perpetrators. We cannot arrange them to court. Huh. So if we don't have a strong judiciary, an independent judiciary that is strong enough to look into these issues, not the one that you arrest the perpetrator and you will call somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. And before you come back to the to the cell where he was held, he has been released because somebody has called from somewhere to say release this person. If we do not allow justice to take its course and end impunity, then we'll continue to struggle with the problems that we have. So in as much as we might have a few limitations, which maybe mostly financial, right? We need that bridge so that the gap can be closed between getting justice and actually helping survivors. Because helping survivors for some cases actually requires justice. And this has in, you know, restating the, the trust that the citizen has in the state. So if I see that somebody has been sexually assaulted and they got justice, 
Me now, when it happens to me, I know that I can make a report, and I know that the country would defend me. But if I mm. see that everybody around me has tried and nobody got justice, yeah. that will encourage me to actually go and report, thereby increasing the impunity and increasing the level of sexual violence within mm. the country. Okay. All right, thank you, Mercy. So just as we round up this conversation, now let's get your recommendations for um, the government, uh, society, religious leaders, parents, and women and girls, because these are all stakeholders when it comes to survivors of gender-based violence or stakeholders in in fighting um, SGBV. So um, what are your recommendations for these different um, groups of people that make up our society? Okay, so I'm just going to um, give general recommendations. If you should feel, please take this recommendation and please try to work on it. Like you said, it takes a whole village. All of us are stakeholders of sexual violence. It, it can affect anybody at any time. So one of the first things we want to be able to try and do, which is what we do at Plan to End Rape, is that we try and ensure the survivor's uh, safety. So if somebody comes to you and says, this is what's happening to me, but I'm living with my abuser, like one of the things you should try to do is see how you can ensure their safety. Please don't try to force them. Don't try to force them. Try to explain. Try your best to help. I know that some people can be adamant. Some people mm. might not even understand the reality of their situation. So you would also need to be patient because it takes a lot. I mean, nobody ever thinks that they can be abused. So when it happens to you, you're probably shocked in the first time. So try to put yourself in your shoes and understand. Also, be compassionate. Listen, your your role is not to be talking with, hey, why were you there? Why were you wearing what you were wearing? I mean, if I knew that I was going to be sexually abused, I probably would have not gone to that place in the first, in the first place, right? So please try and be a compassionate listener without judging the survivor. Another thing you can do is that you can try to understand the trauma and not necessarily, I mean, you might have known somebody that has gone through the same thing. You can call to seek for advice if that's something you're struggling with. If it's a situation where you don't know how to handle this situation, then please try to seek for advice. Also, respect the survivor's decision. I think that's something that we suffer or we struggle to accept. Now, you might want the person to go to the police, and the survivor might not want to go to the police. Yeah. Please respect the survivor's decision. Right? And then share information, try to look out for information on counseling because try to get them to talk to somebody. You are not trained and you might not be you might not be feeling equipped to talk to a survivor. You might say wrong things thinking you are saying the right thing. And it's not fault of your really. Because hmm. you were not trained. Hmm. And it's okay. But there are people who have been trained. Please try and look for them. There are people who do this for free. Stand to and we do this for free. So please reach out to organizations like us to try and see how you can get a counselor to talk to this person. And when we're talking towards more recommendations for the state, I would say that, please, the state should have more trained personnel. And I'm speaking more to the enforcement part of uh, sexual and gender-based violence. We have yeah. a lot of laws. We have the VAT Act. We have the Child Rights Act that stipulates what sexual and gender-based violence is. Please train your staff, even if it's once every year. Train them on how to talk to people. Train them on how to listen to people. How to get information from people who are not even willing to talk. Trauma is being dealt with in different ways. Not everybody has the same response for trauma. You have to be able to respect that. Because somebody is 
all responsibility that the person doesn't want justice. There might be, it might just be a trauma response. So what we require, or what we require from the state is to allocate more funding for this. Please let us, this is, if a state of emergency has to be declared three years ago, or four years ago, 2020 was four years ago, right? Mm -hmm. If a state of emergency has to be declared four years ago, then evidently there's a problem. Meaning that resources have to go into this problem. Yes, I agree that there are other problems in Nigeria. However, this is not a, an insignificant problem that we shouldn't address. We don't have to wait for it till everybody has experience. For us to say, oh, this is a problem. No, we can curb it now if we invest in sexual injustice. All right, thank you so much, Mercy, for being a part of our program today. I uh, appreciate having you tell us about the first your first responder story from your organization. Thank you so much, Mercy. All right, do have a great weekend ahead. Okay. All right, thank you. So um, that's it for today. A very big thank you to um, our first responder today, Messi Moyele Kwabe. She is the editor, Stand to End Rape Initiative, and she has told us a first responder story, you know, or what they've been going through so far and, you know, their their response so far. So, um, well, um, that's where we'll wrap it up today. Tomorrow is another day. Join us again at 12.05. We'll bring you the first responder story and by 10th which is going to be on sunday will be the last day of our first responder story right here on women radio wfm 91.7 so do what stay with us right here on women radio and of course enjoy your friday with us and have a great weekend ahead but tomorrow let's meet at 12.05 good afternoon wfm 91.7